hppodcraft.com. Hoofs drummed down the street that sloped to the wharfs. The folk that yelled and scattered had only a fleeting glimpse of a mailed figure on a black stallion, a wide scarlet cloak flowing out on the wind. Far up the street came the shout and the clatter of pursuit, but the horseman did not look back. He swept out onto the wharfs and jerked the plunging stallion back on its haunches at the very lip of the pier. Seamen gaped at him as they stood to the sweep and stripped sail of a high, proud, broad-waisted galley. The master, sturdy and black-bearded, stood in the bows, easing her away from the piles with a boat hook. He yelled angrily as the horseman sprang from the saddle and with a long leap landed squarely on the mid-deck. Who invited you aboard? We did, you black-bearded bastard. It's time to oil up those thews because it is a month of all Robert E. Howard action here on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I am Chris Lyon. And I'm Chad Pfeiffer. It's Thuli, where dusky sorcerers weave awful spells in the murk of sacrificial smoke, mounting eternally from blood-stained altars where naked women scream, and where our reader, Joshua Bentley, the old serpent, archdemon of the Hyborians, but god of the Stygians, is said to writhe his shining coils (laughs) among his worshippers, and is also our reader today. Yay! Y'all know Josh. He appeared as a guest on our Pikmin's Model episode way back in the day. He's also the singer in a rock and roll. Band. A rock and roll band? Try the, the rock, and roll, rock band. and roll band. That's right. Folks, the time is almost upon us. At the end of this month, Pitch Black Manor is releasing what many are already calling an album. Someday, when the angry bats descend and the earth is ruled by belligerent mummies, this month will be the starting point of the new monster calendar. We are here right now at zero. That's amazing. It's Monster Classics by Pitch Black Manor, 13 songs about witches and Draculas, werewolves and invisible mans, and so much more. When you grab the full album, there's even a bonus track with hobo warlocks in the style of Tom Waits. Not a joke, so we even do trendy commercial material as well. The album will be dropping this month. The Angry Bats still working out the details on the monster calendar, but if you get on our mailing list by hitting us up at pitchblackmanor at gmail.com, we'll put it in the show notes, you will be the first to receive notice when it emerges from the depths. The album will be up at Bandcamp, but also sold as an exclusive limited edition Halloween toy produced by Crypto Curium, and we'll be previewing that all over social media once it's ready. So check that out. You're going to want to get early access to that. We've previewed a couple of tracks on the show and are going to do it again today. So stay tuned for that after we're done jawing about this story. It's a big one. It's going to be a two-parter. The last thing I'll say before we jump into it, if you're allergic to cats, go grab some Claritin. And also, if you've never seen a she-panther in love, you're going to want to address that because otherwise you might not get some of the references in here. If you haven't seen a she-panther do anything, it's going to be hard to connect. It's be hard to connect. This story was first published in Weird Tales in May of 1934. It begins in the city of Argos. A raven-haired warrior on horseback slams into the port and jumps on a ship, telling them to get underway. They say they're bound for Kush. So this guy says, I am now too. Bam! What a way to start a story. We've referenced this one so many times and even quoted from it, so it feels like we've almost covered it. I don't know why this isn't the beginning of a Conan movie or series. I know that Amazon was developing a TV show, and I think Hmm. that started with Frost Giant's daughter and meant to go, like, chronologically. Kind of like those Dark Horse 
Wait, those Dark Horse comics didn't go chronologically, did they? No, they didn't go chronologically. Also, speaking of which, Dark Horse has a motion comic of this story up on YouTube, so you can go check that out. I think that's got some art by Becky Cloonan. Very talented. It's awesome. That TV show, I think, that Amazon was developing is dead now, I'm pretty sure. They had announced it a couple of, like, two years ago, so I was excited. And it was definitely writers who read this original Robert E. Howard stuff, and we're going to be faithful Mm -hmm. to that. But is it Amazon that's doing Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Yeah, I think they didn't want to compete with themselves, so they're just throwing all their billions of dollars into that. Wow. Unfortunately, no Conan, which I would much rather see. Not that I don't like Lord of the Rings, but come on. Yeah. (laughs) Come on, Conan. Typically in these action stories, the hero is shown in shadow first and revealed. But I love this Mm -hmm. hero's entrance where he's slowly coming into focus, and then you get not only Conan, but you see all the mess he's going to bring with him. You know, all of those (laughs) soldiers who are chasing him behind him. I just love it. What a great opening scene. Captain says, you got money. And this guy, he says, I pay my way with steel. By Crom man, if you don't get underway, I'll drench this galley in the blood of its crew. So it's a negotiation. (laughs) Okay, how about five bucks and you lightly missed the galley with the blood of these three crew members? (laughs) Those three crew members are standing right there like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, why me? Uh, The captain looks at this raven-haired, blue-eyed warrior and like, yeah... It ain't worth it to argue with this guy that's holding a bloody sword. So, okay. He's got the upper hand in that negotiation. The captain says his name is Tito. I'm assuming his last name is Jackson. Got to. And they are bound for Kush. He wants to do some trading in silks, swords, and slaves. It seems pointless uh, to point out that there's all sorts of racism in this story. Because everybody is horrific to everybody, including Conan, on all levels. That's just the world. Oh, of my it, God. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Get ready to be uh, offended by something. It's a grab bag. There's a lot of offensive things in here, but there's lots of really great writing. So yeah. you got to take the good with the bad sometimes. This crazy barbarian is none other than Conan the Sumerian, like we didn't know. <laughs> right. He shows up and he's like, hi, my name is Colin. I brought my laptop. Conan's going to conference it. What? <laughs> He explains he came to Argos looking for work, something data entry maybe, but there wasn't much work, so he's a bit down on his luck. Tito asks, so why is the city guard after you? And Conan explains he was at the pub chilling. This captain of the guard started messing around with the sweetheart of one of the soldiers. Naturally, the soldier ran the captain through and then he fled. Everyone else took off, but Conan was like, I got to finish my beer. Since he was the only one to witness this whole thing going on, they have him come into court and the judge is like, who did this? And Conan is like, oh, he's my bun. I'm not going to rat him out. The judge talked a great deal about duty to the state and society and other things I did not understand, Conan said. So Conan still is not going to rat out his buddy. So the judge said, you're going to go to jail until you give up your buddy. So then this is what Conan does. So then seeing they were all mad. I drew my sword and cleft the judge's skull. (laughs) Then I cut my way out of the court and seeing the high constable stallion tied nearby, I ran for the wharves where I thought to find a ship for foreign ports. Which he did. Conan just was like, oh, you guys are on this whole other societal framework. Yeah. I don't go by that. That's not my thing. Yeah. I'm just going to murder you all. (laughs) Well, they were threatening him. They said they were going to detain him, put him in jail. And he's like, for rules I didn't agree to? No. I mean, that's the scene we reference all the time. And I like this entire story. I think it's one of the best Conan stories. But that little back story right there, really the best part of it. Yeah, it is. (laughs) 
Because all Conan stories, and this one in particular, they're kind of pornographic in style. There's no graphic depiction of sex. It's just that everybody's impossibly dimensioned. The whole world is kind of swollen, you know, and the decision making is questionable, just like porn. So this one, like the best pornography, though, has little moments of truth. Who hasn't been dealing with some health insurance rep or bureaucrat and just wanted to cleave their skull? I didn't know what you're talking about. Why won't of you course. let me out of this payment? Whatever it is. And Conan also does something really human here. He pretends he didn't understand something oh, to get mm-hmm. out of doing it. I mean, he's always yeah. saying, these ways of civilized men confuse me. you know. And, and here <laughs> he says, it was all crazy talk. I, I didn't know what to do with it, so I just had to murder them. But <laughs> later in the story, he busts out some fairly complex philosophical reasoning. So Yes, he does. I think he just didn't want to understand. No. And that's cool. I get it. You know, I do it. Here during coronavirus, I'm seeing all sorts of little Conans out there. I, I went to a bar and I didn't wear a mask because your science is confusing to me. <laughs> right. And no, it's well, that's not. You thing. just want to do what you want to do. But that's the thing about Conan is that it's wish fulfillment to this insane level mm-hmm. that I look, I don't have to play by society's rules. I can do whatever the F I want. Nobody's going to boss me around because I'm strong and I'm powerful yeah. and I'm really good with the sword. There's a little bit of truth in that where people find some escape. You are in a society and a lot of times those rules in society don't work for you. Yeah. They work against you. Be able to read these fantasy stories where you're the one making all the decisions and your will is the one that is forced upon other people, whereas normally other people's will is forced upon you that you get some kind of thrill out of it. And I get that. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's an important release. It serves a function psychologically, I think, even reading this kind of pulp stuff. I I know that people are quick to dismiss it and sort of make fun of it because it is adolescent male fantasy stuff. But at the same time, who's not reading the news once in a while and going, I just wish I was a superhero? Oh, yeah. And I could kind of go tell people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For good. And Conan's a superhero. He, he just says, I don't agree to this. And when they say, well, you have to, he goes, no, I don't. I like to think I'd be a little bit more moral than Conan. But again, don't give Chris Lackey superpowers. <laughs> you just, it won't be pretty. I just think, you know, sometimes you have to overreach a little bit to make a point. I don't think he's going to have this kind of problem with a judge in the future. If the papers adequately report, which is <laughs> <laughs> So Tito, after hearing the story, is like, you know, the man's ripped me off a bunch too, so F him. Yeah. Let's go drink some ale. The guy that just jumped on his boat and threatened his not only his life, but the, the whole crew's life. He's like, eh, you know what? Let's be buds and drink. <laughs> I've been in a few hitchhiking so, situations that way, though, where somebody just jumped in the car with a bloody knife. And I was like, well, we're going the same way. <laughs> I never get any good scratchers from that convenience store anyway. So Tito's ship is called the Argus, not to be confused with Argos, which is the city. It's... The same word, though. You know, Argos is Greek and Argus is the Latin. So confusing. Argus built the ship that the Argonauts sailed on. Yes. And Argus is also a giant monster in Greek myth. He's got a hundred eyes. And I think that's why newspapers use Argus a lot. It means all seeing. Because it's all seeing. Yes. So it gives it some description of the ship, but my brain just tunes out this stuff, this boat stuff. I think because I don't know what the vocabulary means. They describe stern and bow and all, all these. And I'm, I don't know what that is. So my brain just kind of shuts it off. It happened when we read a matter of fact as right. well, because they're going a lot of nautical detail that just is beyond me. Yeah. The word poop is in there a bunch of times and it's still boring. <laughs> I know what a boatswain is, but past that, I get a little confused. <laughs> but this is good because the ship is broad in the middle and tapered on either end. And I think that description's intentional because it's almost the opposite dimensions of the queen we'll be meeting soon. You know, she's straight up right. 36, 24, 36. They sail for a few days. Good weather and all seem well. They 
see the coast of Shem, but don't stop. They can't make much money there. Shem belongs to Shem and the Shempites. Everybody knows it. <laughs> Always a curly Joe man myself. <laughs> they pass by the entry into the River Styx, but they don't go there either. It's creepy. The Stiggins worship set and have dark rites and such. If you were opening up a, an occult bookstore in Georgia, dark rites and such would be a, a really good name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Argosians never seen a guy like Conan. But Conan has seen their type before. Yeah. They were characteristic Argosian sailors, short and stockily built. Conan towered over them. No two of them could match his strength. They were hardy and robust, but his was the endurance and vitality of a wolf. His fuse steeled and his nerves wetted by the hardness of his life in the world's wastelands. Oof. So there's our first taste of the fuse. Mmm. <laughs> So steely. Then they sail past the villages of black people, but they are smoking ruins and lots of dead folks. And Tito says that this is the work of pirates and raiders. Yeah. Tito says they can outrun most raiders unless it's Belit's Tigress. Conan's like, well, who's Belit? And she is called the queen of the black coast. She is a Shemite woman who leads black raiders. They harry the shipping and have sent many good tradesmen to the bottom. We may have discussed this on other Conan episodes, but is Shemite meant to be Jewish? Or something like that? Oh, no. Shem was Noah's son. I, I think that's where Semite comes from. Oh, jeez. You know, I wasn't thinking about it, but when you mentioned passing the coast of Shem, he described the people there as having hooked noses. And so I thought, oh, is this Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, at least a Belit is a, a Shemite. Oh, wait. Oh, my God, this is just occurring to me. Her fatal flaw is uh, greed and... Uh, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> that just snuck up on me. No. Because that happens the story's, yeah, later. The story's terrible. Yep. Sweet. Like I said, <laughs> it's a, oh, it's a man. bag. Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, let's continue. Well, who doesn't love a discovery live on the air? <laughs> so at sunrise the next morning, the Argus is attacked, and it's the Tigris, the elite's ship. They try to make for sure, but this thing has got lots of power. 40 oars on each side. They can't outrun her, and Conan says, give me a bow. It's not my idea of a manly weapon, but I learned archery among the Hyrcanians, and it will go hard if I can't feather a man or so on yonder deck. He's talking about shooting arrows, right? Not yeah. feathering hair. <laughs> a little David Cassidy action there. <laughs> I'd be sweet. I know what will vex these soldiers. Gets his brush out. No, if that little passage made me think too, since he finds the bow unmanly, it's because uh -huh. you can be at a distance and it's not a really man-to-man uh, -man kind of combat, you know. Made me think that if Conan came to the modern world, it would be pretty funny because he would look at these tough guy gun owners and think these are unmanly weapons. But then he'd meet some D&D &D nerd who's got a broadsword on, the, you know, he got a broadsword from the mall that's up in his garage and he'd say, now this is a man. This Maxwell in his electric wizard shirt, I choose him as my companion. So Conan tells the captain they better turn and fight or they don't stand a chance. They're dead either way. The Tigress's crew are all black eyes, but they see a dark haired white woman on the deck. Arrows start flying from the Tigress and, and take out a few guys on the Argus. Conan takes aim at the woman, believing that it's Belit, but then he hesitates and he shoots the guy next to her instead. If Conan misses, if he shoots an arrow at you, well, he didn't miss her. It was a last minute decision. But if he, if, if you see an arrow and Conan fired it and it didn't hit you, that means he loves you. Oh. Yeah. Stay still. I don't <laughs> want to hit you. I love you. Tito tries to keep things under control, but his crew is freaking out. Then Tito gets an arrow through the heart. Conan jumps to command the remaining men and tells them to grab their weapons, get ready for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Conan took command in characteristic fashion, something that he always does. It's the condo board all over again. When Marcy broke her hip, Conan stepped right in. Characteristic. <laughs> So the Tigress pulls up alongside and grapples the Argus. The pirates leap over and make short work of the crew, but Conan 
of course, goes nuts and he leaps onto the Tigress and he just kills guys like crazy. In an instant, he was the center of a hurricane of stabbing spears and lashing clubs, but he moved in a blinding blur of steel. Spears bent on his armor or swished empty air and his sword sang its death song. The fighting madness of his race was upon him and with a red mist of unreasoning fury wavering before his blazing eyes, he cleft skulls, smashed breasts, severed limbs, ripped out entrails, and littered the deck like a shambles with a ghastly harvest of brains and blood. Ghastly? Elite comes forward and has all the pirates hold. She looks to Conan and is impressed with him. Conan is also impressed with her as well. She was untamed as a desert wind, supple and dangerous as a she-panther. Okay, see, now I'm glad I know what that is. She came close to him, heedless of his great blade, dripping with blood of her warriors. Her supple thigh brushed against it. So close she came to the tall warrior. Her only garment was a broad silken girdle. Her white ivory limbs and the ivory globes of her breasts drove a beat of fierce passion through the Sumerian's pulse, even in the panting fury of battle. Her rich black hair, black as a Stygian night, fell in rippling burnished clusters down her supple back. (laughs) Howard knows how to sell a magazine. I read all this high adventure stuff when I was young, and long idealized passages about sexy warrior women were okay by me. Actually, there were a couple of drive-bys up there that we didn't mention. There were all the naked women getting sacrificed. I did read that bit at the top, but they also passed, at one point they passed a castellated point of land, and naked dusky women with great red blossoms in their hair stood and called to his sailors and posed and postured brazen. A little siren song thing they managed to afford. Yes. Short form works for me, too. Thought that was good. In all fairness, the men are all naked in this story, too. Everybody's naked. When Belit shows up, it seems like she's not wearing anything, but she's actually overdressed when compared to everybody <laughs> else. And you know one thing I love about Conan? He's usually dressed the way that they dress female superheroes. He's got a helmet and a cape, but somehow his chest is sticking out, you know? Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I think Fabio would have made a pretty good Conan if Schwarzenegger hadn't been available. True. You know, and he's tough, too. Did you ever... You, you remember when he murdered a goose on a roller coaster? I do, yeah. yeah. Just headbutted to death. So she asks where he's from, and he says Argos, but she's like, you're no soft Tiborian. And he's like, oh, nah, I'm Sumerian. You are fierce and hard as a gray wolf. Those eyes were never dimmed by city lights. Those thews were never softened by life amid marble walls. I gotta say, I've never heard or read thews in any other work of fiction, or anywhere really, except in Conan stories. No. It's just, it's not a word that's never really used, but man, Howard uses them like crazy. He loves thews. I think Emily Dickinson leaned on it pretty heavily (laughs) in her poetry, but otherwise, yeah, I think you're right. Belit says, I am Belit, queen of the Black Coast. Oh, tiger of the north, you are cold as the snowy mountains which bred you. Take me and crush me with your fierce love. Go with me to the ends of the earth and the ends of the sea. I am a queen by fire and steel and slaughter. Be thou my king. Wow. One of the sailors approaches on bent knee and says, Your Majesty, what if he's bad at sex? (laughs) Some of these muscle guys, you know, ain't got to where it counts. She's got one one servant who's willing to speak truth to power. Coda could be a very selfish lover. I, maybe, she I don't doesn't know. know. Don't. She's making crazy she pledges know. here. Conan looks at her men, but they don't seem wigged out by her throwing herself at him, yeah. the guy that just killed tons of their guys. 
And he thinks, oh, they worship her like some kind of goddess. That's why they're not bothered by this. Whatever. He thinks the lady could be a good time, so he agrees to go sailing with her. Yeah, he's got vacation energy, you know. Hey, this is fun. Let's go. <laughs> As they moved out over the glassy blue deep, Belit came to the poop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Best line in that. Wolves of the blue sea, behold ye now the dance, the mating dance of Belit, whose fathers were kings of Ascalon. She then proceeds to do a sexy dance and then falls before Conan's feet. Her eyes were burning like those of a she-panther in the dark <laughs> as she tore off her ornaments, her sandals, and her silken girdle. So she strips, does the mashed potato with no music. No music. I, this scene would be so surreal and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uncomfortable is how I would feel. It says the blind flood of the Sumerian's desire swept all else away as he crushed her panting form against the black plates of his corseleted breast. Did she have sex with him in front of everybody? Yeah, man. Wow. You've worked on a porn set. That's not very distracting, is it? Uh, (laughs) yeah. It's a strange scene. That's all I have to comment on that. I wonder if that one guy that tried to help her out a little earlier was like, no, look, he's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad this happened. You know, maybe I was... Too quick to judge this love. I was telling her to slow her roll, but check that out. Yeah. It's not selfish at all. We get into chapter two, The Black Lotus. Some time passes, and Conan is a pirate now. Just a free spirit, really. He's a really big hit on the piracy charts. People know of Belit and her white warrior with fierce blue eyes. They're scared of them. So one day, they come to the mouth of the river Zarkeba. Belit tells him, it's death. There are lots of dangerous animals, and everyone who goes down that river never comes back. Except this one time... A galley came floating down the dark waters, its deck bloodstained and deserted. Only one man was on board, and he was mad and died gibbering. The cargo was intact, but the crew had vanished into silence and mystery. (laughs) This was Dracula's first attempt to come to England, but the lawyer he (laughs) hired was not good. Found up south of Cush, (laughs) in the world of Conan even. Don't know how that happened. That's a long way off, of course. Belit thinks that there's a lost city up that river that has some kick-ass treasure. She thinks they should go. Conan is like... Okay, whatever, sure. It mattered little to him where they sailed or whom they fought as long as they sailed and fought. He found the life good. Not a lot of empathy, this Conan. Yeah, at least not a lot of uh, greed either. He's pretty good at keeping things simple. I really like Howard's ability to get into this alien mindset of Conan. Or of anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think about history, it's often really the exploration of an alien culture as much as it is our heritage. You know, despite all these little human connections we find... The Romans, Mm -hmm. say, just had a wholly different view of the world that defies what we see as common logic or empathy or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Slavery of all sorts of people's just commonplace, leaving infants Mm -hmm. out to be exposed to his unwanted child, just all sorts of sexuality and conventions around that. Totally different. It's similar here. You know, you'll Mm -hmm. you'll relate to Conan. He killed that judge ostensibly because he was standing up for a friend. So, okay, I I can get that. But then he made friends with these sailors that basically rescued him. And when Belit came and murdered them all, he was like, hey, I think they have more stuff in the hull if you want it. You know, he just didn't care at all. (laughs) No. And he has no uh, regret about that at all either, which is fine. That's who Conan is. But it's it's an alien mindset. It's very alien. I mean, what was Conan going to do if he held a grudge? I mean, all the guys on that ship were dead already. Yeah. Like, he just kind of rolls with it. He does. He's almost like a dog in the way that he doesn't hold a grudge or Mm -hmm. 
That's just kind of lets things just move on and, well, okay, this is working now, so I'll stick with this. As they went up the muddy river, they didn't see any animals. Nothing came out to drink the water, but they hear some inhuman cry and Belit thinks it's an ape, adding that the souls of evil men were imprisoned in these man-like animals as punishment for past crimes. And Conan thinks back to the time he saw an ape in a cage. It was just like this sad creature. So he thinks her theory about trapped souls is just... That's where you know that Belit isn't jealous because there's no way Conan went to the zoo on his own. That was definitely a date. (laughs) So the sun sets and the moon rises. Belit asks Conan if he's afraid and he says, eh. She asks if he fears the gods and he says, I would not tread on their shadow. Some gods are strong to harm, others to aid. At least so say their priests. Mitra of the Hyborians must be a strong god because his people have builded their cities over the world. But even the Hyborians fear Set, and Bel, god of thieves, is a good god. When I was a thief in Zamora, I learned of him. She asks him about the gods of his people. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I I can get behind Conan's religion. He says their chief is Krom. He dwells on a great mountain. What used to call on him? Little he cares if men live or die. Better to be silent than call his attention to you. He will send you dooms, not fortune. (laughs) <laughs> he is grim and loveless, but at birth he breathes power to strive and slay into a man's soul. What else shall men ask of the gods? Fair enough. It's true. Yeah. She asks him about the afterlife, and he says, There is no hope here or hereafter in the cult of my people. In this world, men struggle and suffer vainly, finding pleasure only in the bright madness of battle. Dying, their souls enter a gray, misty realm of clouds and icy winds to wander cheerlessly throughout eternity. Kind of sounds about right. Man, that is that is a rough worldview. It's not even that there is no afterlife. Yeah. Because that's not so bad because you just cease to exist. So you don't know you're dead. Right. Not a big deal. But here is you just kind of wander around in a cold world. Yeah, this for gray, eternity. misty realm. It's kind of like being in a gap or something just forever. <laughs> she then asks him, what do you believe? He shrugged his shoulders. I have known many gods. He who denies them is as blind as he who trusts them too deeply. I seek not beyond death. It may be the blackness averred by the Numidian skeptics, or Krom's realm of ice and cloud, or the snowy plains and vaulted halls of Nordheimer's Valhalla. I know not, nor do I care. Let me live deep while I live. Let me know the rich juices of red meat and stinging wine on my palate. The hot embrace of white arms. The mad exultation of battle when the blue blades flame and crimson and I am content. Let teachers and priests and philosophers brood over questions of reality and illusion. I know this, if life is illusion, then I am no less an illusion. And being thus, the illusion is real to me. I live. I burn with life. I love, I slay, and am content. I'm looking forward to the film adaptation of Conan's book, Live, Love, Slay. <laughs> I am too. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. Ah, delicious. Well, I've, we've quoted that before, and it is my favorite part of the story, other than him murdering the judge. I was texting with Bentley about this as he was you know, preparing for the read. And he texted me and said, Conan is an existence precedes essence kind of guy, which is a very casual reference to the work of Kierkegaard and Sartre, which I think demonstrates that both Conan and Josh are quite a bit smarter than they're letting on. (laughs) Josh is going to hear that and go, oh, thanks. Wait a minute. (laughs) 
he also texted Conan would hate Plato, which I think is a reference to the philosopher Plato. What other Plato is there? He could have meant that he didn't like Dana Plato as an actress. <laughs> Who doesn't like Dana Plato, though? Obviously, it was the philosopher. Obviously was Come the on. Philosopher. That's true. Belize says that there is life after death. She knows it. But then she decides to get sexy with him. She rose lithely to her knees and caught him in a pantherish embrace. <laughs> Which, in my world, usually leads to the emergency room, if not the grave, but he's dealing with it. This is important. She says, my love is stronger than any death. I have lain in your arms, panting with the violence of our love. You have held and crushed and conquered me. Were I still in death and you fighting for life, I would come back from the abyss to aid you. She pledges her undying love to him, but then they hear a scream. One of the crew has been entangled by a giant snake. So Conan jumps up, cuts it almost in half, and then the snake and the guy <laughs> drop into the water, and then they both just sink. And just as hastily as that whole scene happened, we're going to have to put a pin in it for this week. We are. Uh, we're at a good spot to stop. We will be back next week with more Queen of the Black Coast. And I know that we'll have some patrons on board with us, hopefully. Yes, let me thank a few of them right now. <laughs> Bob Sharp, thank you. Landon Douglas Smith, thank you. Aaron C. Remick, thank you very much. I want to thank Jenny. Stephanie Bowker, thank you. Dagfin Hobeck, thank you so much. Thank you, Joshua Downing. Tony Lindbergh, thank you. Thank you, Peter Garrick. And finally, thank you, Michael Cthulhu. How odd that he would like this show with that last name. but I know, very strange. Sometimes fate connects people. Yeah. And of course, I want to thank our reader, Joshua Bentley. He'll be back with us next week. And right now, you're going to hear him and me and Lyle Erickson rocking balls and breaking hearts. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We will leave you with this track from our forthcoming album, Monster Classics. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Pitch Black Manor with just another werewolf love song.